0: So I have this awesome picture of one of the most beautiful cities in the world, and it's in uh, Dubai, and it's taken from a, uh, the tallest tower in the world. Uh, I'm going to say it wrong, but I think it's called the Burj Khalif. Is that what it's called? But it is a very tall structure, and it kind of harkens back to uh, Babylon, when in Revelation, or excuse me, in Genesis chapter 11, after the flood, there was this great tall tower built that um, was a tower unto the heavens. And so ever since then, mankind has been trying to rebuild Babylon. Now, we don't call it that anymore because that's kind of, you know, that would be too obvious. But the enemy and the world itself is trying to build this structure. Maybe it's not just a building, but it is an infrastructure that runs things and it is the world's commerce, the world's economy. The, it's where everybody goes for their source of wisdom, their source of success. And so that being said, if this, in this pinnacle um, city, this picture, um, I don't know about you, but I look at that picture, I'm like, I want to live there. It's beautiful. It's shiny. I mean, who doesn't like shiny? And it's got amazing pools. Uh, but that being said, uh, it's going to burn. It's going to fall. It's not going to last even the nicest, most shiniest vehicles that we can buy, uh, they eventually rust, right? And so that being said, the fall of Babylon, now you might be saying, I was here last week, we already talked about the fall of Babylon, but that Babylon is called religious Babylon, and we're going to look at the contrast between Revelation 18 and Revelation 17. So what's the difference? They're both called Babylon, but I stole this from David Guzik, so for those of you that are not big on copyright issues, um, I still stole it, but I'm going to tell you who it's from. But he wrote down that Revelation 17 calls uh, it Mystery Babylon, the fall of Mystery Babylon the Great, and she was described as a, yes, that's right, a harlot, a prostitute. But then in chapter 18, we are going to see the fall of Great Babylon, Babylon the Great. And, And so, The second way we see that it's different is in Revelation 17. Uh, The symbol that's used is a woman who is a harlot, but the symbol in chapter 18 is a great city. Uh, The third way that it's different is identified with Rome. It was a place that was seven hills is what it describes it. But in chapter 18, it's going to describe it as a port city, a place where people could take ships and take the goods from that area and take it to all the other nations of the world. Uh, Number four is uh, she's described as a woman, forgive me, but a whore, a, a prostitute, and the mother of all harlots. So that's not great, right? But then the fourth way that it's described in chapter 18 is a habitation, a place, A city, a marketplace, a place of commerce. Um, Chapter 17 describes it as a uh, what they're guilty of as uh, of (laughs) they're guilty of religious abominations. But then in chapter 18, the guilt there is of greed and self-indulgence. Now, maybe this would strike us as a nation we are full of greed and self-indulgence. We're big on commerce and economy, uh, but that's none none the difference. This is about Babylon, not us. But then it's also described in chapter 17 as being destroyed by a political power that previously supported her. So we talked about the false religious system and how it it felt like it was in control of life, even riding on the back of the dragon, and in control of the dragon. And that dragon was Satan himself, who's really running things. But what we find out is that dragon was also the political system. So as soon as the political system was done with the false religious system that thought it was in control, the political system or the governmental leaders turn around and they devour the harlot, So the false church, the false religious system that people were trusting in, that was really more, it wasn't just God, but it was God and a political system. Imagine that. A a religious people would feel like they were in control of the government. And when the government was done using the religious people's influence, the government turns around and devours the religious institution which is an institution of idolatry because it was trusting in God and something else. If your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, then repent of trusting in anything else added to it. We have to be so careful because the government is made up of who? People. And people's hearts are deceitfully wicked. They're human beings like the rest of us. So we have to be very careful that we don't mix Jesus and government or Jesus and America. Now, this is not popular because here we are. What are we celebrating this weekend? Our freedoms. But every other nation in the country can tell you that at any moment, your freedoms can be taken from you. So if your hope is built upon having freedom politically or governmentally or religiously, those things can be taken away. But guess what? Your freedom in christ can never be taken away people in china right now are worshiping they're not able to do it as freely as we are but they are sharing the gospel the 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 chinese church has been blowing up since the 80s when they said you cannot worship freely and if you go to a free church we want your name we're going to keep it in a database so that we can persecute you and so all that to say that chapter 17 showed religious babylon being torn down, this false worship system that was God and something else added. But who tore down the false religious system? The world rulers, the world's government, who were only using her for their influence. They were using her for power. But then in Revelation chapter 14, verse 8, we've already been told by John the Revelator, we've been for, her fall, Babylon's fall was foretold and in there, it didn't say Mystery Babylon the Great. It actually said a great city, the great city of Babylon, the great place of commerce, the great place of influence. This is the system that supports the city until it's no longer needed. And so in chapter 18, we begin and we look at the fall of not religious Babylon. That's already fallen in our context here. But in chapter 18, we see the fall of commercial Babylon. And many more people will be affected by the fall of commercial Babylon than religious Babylon. In verse 1 through 3, we're going to see the announcement of Babylon's fall. Uh, Verse 4 through 5, we'll see a warning, a last call to come out of Babylon. God's crying out to his people. Uh, Verse 6 through 8, we'll see Babylon sentenced. It's like a court trial. There's a sentence, there's charges, and then there's the judgment that's meted out verse 9 through 19, when Babylon falls, we'll see the kings, the governmental leaders, we'll see the merchants, those who gain money from Babylon's success, and the shipping companies that ship everything because of the success, they will all mourn and lament the fall of Babylon because that's how they get fat. That's how they get their paycheck. They're going to mourn the system falling. And then God's people, verse 20, just one verse, God's people in heaven itself will rejoice at its fall. And then Babylon will receive her wages. The wages of sin is death and destruction, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so, verse 21 through 23, Babylon will receive her wages. And then, verse 24, we'll find out the main reason that she is judged. And it's not what you think it is. So, that being said, we have the announcement of Babylon's fall. Finally, Chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, And a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her goods or her luxury. And so, in verse 1 through 3, we see this angel who comes out of the throne room of God with a message, like a town crier and says, Babylon the great is fallen, and then for emphasis, this duplication or this repetition, is fallen, is fallen, ex- explaining the completeness of her destruction. But the angel is illuminated. So angels can have this illumination, and we know that Satan comes to us illuminated, uh, appearing as an angel of light, but in this case, this angel has been given authority by God to proclaim this message of destruction, but also because of being in the presence of God to receive this message, it's still illuminated. Think about Moses coming down off the mountain for 40 days with God himself. He had the Shekinah glory on his face because of whose presence he had been in. And so no doubt this angel is illuminated because it's been in the presence of God, in the very throne room of God. Now, a place that's synonymous, and I'm speaking about Babylon here, a place that's synonymous with success, progress, advancement, luxury, enlightenment, right? Uh, freedom, maybe even pride, inclusivity. All of these things describe Babylon. Now, if you want to see a picture of this, look at Babylon today, and we don't think about Babylon, we think about Saudi Arabia, and we think about uh, Dubai, one of the most affluent cities in the world. And if you go there, it is not uncommon to see Lamborghinis and Bugattis and all of these vehicles that, I'm going to confess, I look at on YouTube and go, that's awesome. That's a modern marvel, 208 miles per hour, sounds amazing. You know, a VW engine that will keep running and go 200 miles an hour. That's impressive, okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. But in there, we see all this luxury and this advancement, and we have to, as Americans, hopefully realize that our own dark hearts long for that stuff. We've been sold an American dream. We want our kids to have better off than we did and our parents before us wanted us to have better off than they did. But the problem with all of these things is you can gain the entire world. You can lose your soul. It's a lie. You'll get destination sickness. You'll get there and get all the stuff, and the world will give it to you. And you can sell your soul. You can sacrifice your own family's welfare in order to gain success. And when you get there, you'll find out it wasn't what it promised it would be that's Babylon. But look how it's described here through the pen of John. It is a demonic hangout. It's the place of demons. It's a haunt. Uh, When it's destroyed, it is a demonic hangout, a prison for souls, and a cage for unclean birds. Now, if you know the parables that Jesus taught in the New Testament, he described the kingdom of God as a mustard seed, when that mustard seed takes root and it grows up this great big tree, so big, in fact, that it's fruitful, but it also is a place where birds can hang out. So the birds are free to nest there. But after Babylon is destroyed, by the way, the birds will be caged, not free. The birds, even the birds are able to experience the common grace of God and his blessings attached to his goodness. The kingdom of God is right now in the place that we live. People that don't know Jesus can come in and actually experience the blessing. They can call the church and go, hey, I need gas money. And they can experience the blessing of God's increase. And yet at this time, when Babylon is destroyed, the unclean birds will be caged. They'll be imprisoned. And really, at this point, they already are. They'll no longer experience the benefit of God's kingdom. So what is the charge against battle, Babylon? Well, we see it in verse 3. They, they made nations and national leaders and merchants, people that are experiencing the blessings of a, a, a blustering economy. They've made her drunk on her immorality. They've compromised. Now I have there for you, people, governments, and businesses have compromised during the season of Babylon their principles, they've compromised their principles and their morals in order to partake in the treasuries and the luxuries and the benefits of Babylon. And so the announcement of Babylon's fall from the angel. But then verse 4 through 5 begins a warning and a calling out of Babylon. So verse 4 says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Come out. Now, in the context of Revelation, there's no coming out. By this point in the Great Tribulation, you can't be taken out. Salvation is over. This age of grace where anyone, no matter what they've done, can come to Jesus and repent of their sin and and receive forgiveness because of his blood. At this point in Revelation, there's no more hope. It's over. Last call. But remember that John is receiving this revelation in A.D. 90, around there. He's receiving this to make a canic... to be, to be a part of the canon of scripture that you and I carry right now. So this warning at that time will be too late. But the warning, because it's been prophesied about and penned by the writer John, and we're able to read it right now, is a warning to anyone who knows they have been called by God to repent and believe and receive his grace and come out of the system. Stop buying stock in Babylon. Stop being sold the lie and buying it and trying to succeed in this world system that's going to be destroyed. It's not what it looks like. It can't deliver on what it's promised. And so he says, Come out, my people. This is for us today. This is for our neighbors. Uh, The gospel is a cry to. Come out of the world, be set apart in God's kingdom until its kingdom is actually set down and His rule and reign comes. God is in control right now, and He is calling people who are a part of Babylon to come out. If you're here today and you are in Jesus, you are called out of the darkness. That's the kingdom of Babylon, and you've been called into the light. To walk in the light as he is in light. And because of that, the blood of Jesus covers you and cleanses you of, you of all unrighteousness. And so he says, Come out, my people. Why? So you will not share in her sins anymore. As believers, we're called to be set apart and no longer walk in the deeds of darkness. Here's the condemnation we prefer darkness. We prefer sin. That's our flesh. But if you've been made alive in Christ, you're no longer to be walking in the deeds of the flesh. You're to walk in the Spirit and experience the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there's no law. So you're to be called out so you won't share in her sins, and then, because of your sins, receive the punishment and the consequences for those sins. Judgment. But then he also says, Babylon's sins have been heard about in heaven. Now, if you remember this, her sins, her iniquities have reached heaven. God hears, he sees, he's aware of the fact of the injustice that takes place on earth. But if you remember with me, this harkens back to the beginnings of Babylon. In order to deal with sin, mankind tried to find a a stairway to heaven, a way to worship the heavens. God has heard about and has remembered the iniquities of Babylon, and Babylon will be judged for those iniquities. But then in Genesis 18, you remember the story about Sodom and Gomorrah. It says that the outcry against Sodom had reached unto the heavens. God heard about the atrocities and the sin that was going on, and so he came down to check it out. And it says that after Abram had had a little fellowship meal with God, then God revealed to Abraham that he was getting ready to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. So he didn't want to withhold from his people, Abraham, that he was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Why was that? Well, because inside Sodom and Gomorrah was a family member of Abraham, Lot and his children. And so Abraham finds out that Sodom and Gomorrah will be judged, and he begins to intercede and speak with God. Hey, will you judge it if there's 50 righteous in there? And God said, no, I won't judge it for 50 righteous. What about 40? What about 30? It's like an auctioneer, but backwards. He's lowering the number. Will you judge it if there's this many? Will you judge it if there's this many? And so he's interceding for his nephew. And then God himself goes into Sodom and Gomorrah and he pulls Lot and his family out. And when he takes them out, if you remember that there's one who was delivered and yet not completely, because he said, don't look back at the city when I get you out. And then Lot's wife, because she longed for Sodom and Gomorrah and its luxuries and its iniquities, its sin, she shared in the judgment of it. So she was saved, and then because of her longing for Babylon, she was judged, and she became a pillar of salt as a reminder to all those who would be saved and yet long to go back. As believers, we can be saved and then have a divided heart and long to go back to the world there will be judgment for you choose this day whom you will follow judgment will happen god's desires my people come out don't look back let go of it move forward stop thinking back about how great it was there are times where i get in those modes and i'm like i remember what i got used to be able to do this, and then I dabble in it, and then I'm miserable. God says, come out. So come out of Babylon. And in Genesis chapter 19, when God called his people out, he then judged the city. He would not judge it with any righteous in there. We saw that in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. He called out his people. Chapter 6 begins the great tribulation period. And so verse 6, He's speaking to this same group. He says, come out of her, my people, verse four. And then in verse six, he says, render to her, meaning Babylon, just as she rendered to you. Repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am no widow, and I will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day death, mourning, and famine, and she will be utterly burned with her fire, excuse me, with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. So, Babylon is sentenced to death, and when Babylon is sentenced to death, He says, render to her as she is rendered to you. She is sowed, so she's going to reap after what she sowed. There are laws to sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow, right? So if you sow to the flesh, you will reap according to the flesh. If you put apple seeds in the ground, what's going to grow? Apple trees. If you put orange seeds, orange. Now, we live in Iron County. So we sow uh, and we reap rocks and dead small plants. Uh, But my point is, is that when the soil is prepared and your heart is full of soil, when you sow to the flesh, you will reap the consequences of living for the flesh. When you sow to the spirit, you will reap the fruit of the spirit. And so in this case, Babylon, the system is going to be judged by the fruit of what she has sown. She's going to render, uh, have rendered to her as she has rendered to the world. She will be repaid double according to her works. When you sow a few seeds, you reap more than you sow. If I take the wheat seed and I put it out in the field, the hope is, is that I will actually reap more than I've sown. Otherwise, there's no purpose, right? But then he says she has glorified herself Now she will be humbled. She's lifted herself above consequences. I will never see sorrow. I'll always be comfortable. Uh, Wrong. She will be uncomfortable. Let her see that she can't escape sorrow. Then she experiences plagues, death, mourning, famine, and then burned with fire, the fire of judgment, all in one day. But I want to turn with you to Galatians chapter 6. Because in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, excuse me, verse 7, Paul writes there, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart and so therefore to us in the church the exhortation is as we have opportunity let us sow and do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Those who reap, excuse me, those who sow to the Spirit, those who sow willingly, will also of the Spirit reap rewards for that. And so the bad news, if you've sown to the flesh, just like Babylon, you'll receive of the fruit of the flesh the consequences of sin, but to those of us who will take heed to that and sow to the Spirit, there will actually be Uh, benefit to that as well. So because judgment has come on Babylon and because mankind and the world system has trusted in this house built on sand, when it is destroyed, those who have trusted in it will mourn. Think about it. We just went through this recession in 2008. Those who have sowed into the stock market, whether you believe it is or not, it is part of the world system. So it's Not founded on Christ, and so therefore it can be shaken and it can fall. And we saw this huge recession where all of a sudden stock prices just plummeted. Well, just recently, coronavirus, right? All of a sudden, people are freaking out and they are sell, sell, sell. So that drops the bottom out of the market, and all that you had your retirement, your 401k invested in, all of a sudden, that stock, if you have any, it, it, the price of it plummeted. It made your 401k, the, the cost of it and the benefits from it, just dropped really quickly. Now, it's, by God's grace, it has come back in a lot of ways. But my point is, is that because that stock market is built on Babylon, it could be taken from us, right? And so in the same way that we would maybe individually go and we would mourn and weep when the number cuts in half or whatever, In the same way, the kings and the merchants and the shipmasters of the world, when Babylon is destroyed, they mourn and they weep. Chapter 18, verse 9, the kings of the earth who had committed fornication, they were in bed with Babylon and lived luxuriously with her, will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas! Alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And then verse 11, the merchants of the earth, the business owners, those who are highly invested financially, they will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of Look at this. This is like a department store to end all department stores. It's the multi-level deal where you go in and one floor has merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, probably said that wrong, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon and incense. Now we're into Bed Bath & Beyond, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil. Now we're into the uh, microbreweries. We're into the wine cellars, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots. Now we're at Rule king. Bodies and souls of men. Wait a minute. These are all things that we would buy, and then it gets to the end, and it says, bodies and souls of men. Maybe it's the back room of family video, you know? It's maybe, it's maybe it's the internet where pornography and bodies are sold. Maybe it's human trafficking. So it all sounds great. I didn't see, you know, but chariots, maybe that's the, you know, the BMW store, you know? And, and so all of these things have been bought and sold, but I, I had never noticed until I studied this week. And then it says, and bodies. And souls of men. And dark alleys. It's no longer a department store, folks. It, it speak, that's Babylon. Babylon looks great in the commercials. They're just selling medicine. And they're selling things. But all that money and the, the profit and the wealth from that There's backstores, too, that nobody has the... They're not on Main Street, if you will. Uh, They're on the Internet. They're in the slums. Human beings are being trafficked all around the world. They say that at at Super Bowl, more than anything, human trafficking is on on its all-time high. But it doesn't begin there. But my point is, it says, verse 14, the fruit that your soul... Longed for has gone from you. What does the world long for? The fruit that our souls long for, if we're not careful, is all the things listed in those department stores. Now, maybe for you, it's not you're not on the internet buying souls and bodies, but how many of you find your hope in the next thing, the package that's coming on your porch today? Amazon sends you the text and you got the next thing that's gonna make you happy. We fall prey to that, right? It's, it's where our hope is placed. Babylon has grip on our hearts, and we give it. We give our hearts to these things. The, the outcry has come out. And so he says here, The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all the merchants and these things who the merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment weeping and wailing and saying alas alas the great city that was clothed in fine linen purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls for in one hour such great riches came to nothing one hour that's it. That's not very long. And every shipmaster, so now it's the shipping companies, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance. And they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads, which is a sign of mourning. And they cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she's made completely desolate. One hour. A lot of crying going on. A lot of weeping. A lot of mourning. The kings of the earth cry over the loss of not people, but of the gain of their inheritance, their wealth. The, the splendor of their kingdoms they're not crying about the bodies and souls being sold they're crying because their pockets are no longer going to be lined they're crying because their luxurious houses they they won't be able to make the payment because they were living above their means they had to the compromise because they made themselves a slave to the lenders who had bankrolled everything that they had built they're crying because they're going to go bankrupt They're not going to be successful. Their affluence will be taken away. No more steak dinners. That's what they're crying about. They don't care about people. They care about profit. And that's what Babylon does to our hearts and souls. But they're crying. Isn't that good? They're mourning. Blessed are the, the, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, right? But here's the problem. 2 Corinthians says this better than I can chapter 7 verse 10 2 Ch- Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 it says this godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation godly sorrow leads to repentance that leads to salvation. But what we're reading about is not godly godly sorrow. He says, but the sorrow of the world produces death. They're mourning over the world. They're mourning over their system. They're mourning over their, their cornerstone is not Jesus Christ. Their cornerstone is the economy working well. And when that's taken away, and that's your only hope, guess what? That only leads to death. What happens when people have staked their whole claim in this life and then what they, makes them happy, makes them sad, is death. Many CEOs that have gained the world and lost their soul when, when their bu- business went bankrupt, you know what they do? They commit suicide. They drink themselves until they die. They get hooked on drugs. They go and gang- gamble what they have left away. They try to gain it back again, and they can't because it's not something they can grasp hold of. That's the bad news. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to salvation. Godly sorrow says, God, I've been going in the wrong way, and I just realized it. Forgive me. Save me. Give me the life that you promised. I'm a sinner, and I don't deserve it god's willing at any point to say you're forgiven my my son died his blood was poured out so you could be cleansed of all unrighteousness there's no one beyond his salvation at least in this day and age and so they care more about profit than people i was going to read for you but i'm running short on time but read acts chapter 19 verse 21 through 34 in your free time There's this story about in Ephesians where uh, Paul goes on in and he shares the gospel. and Because he shares the gospel, people's hearts are changed. So much so that there's this guy that has a business. It's an idol-making business, and he makes it out of silver. And people buy these idols like crazy. But because people start following Jesus instead of serving idols, they stop buying the idols, which is like the main economy in their city. Actually, they have a temple that's like the central focus of Ephesus. And when they stop going to the temple and worship, they stop buying uh, people's bodies because the way you worship Diana in Ephesus was you go and sleep with a temple prostitute and you do all these oblations. But they stop buying the idols, and because uh, their commerce and their economy is destroyed, there's this. Imagine this: a great riot starts, and they all fly into the the big arena, their their place of entertainment. And they start, like, accusing Paul of destroying their economy. You're the problem with our society. You're the scourge. You're stopping progress and inclusivity. You're stopping us from free love and free trade. And Paul starts pro- to proclaim Jesus. And it gets so loud, they start rioting. And they, they don't say, great, is, great was Babylon. They say, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And they cry it out for an hour and then two hours. It's a worship service, folks. That's what's going on here. Babylon, the great has fallen. Oh, if we could only be saved and the economy could come back. It's let us down. Revive it. But they're crying out to a dead hope, a dead system. I told you I wasn't going to tell the story, but here's what it looks like, folks. Here's what it looks like when it all goes down. That beautiful city we saw on slide one. And you might say, well, you know, I've never cried over a city being destroyed or the economy. Maybe you have. But let's bring it more to a local level. Maybe you can relate more to this picture. You guys ever play with Legos? Got an eight-year-old in my house right now and we got lots of Legos. And there's there's, there's two cities going on, okay? There's the city of Babylon, we'll all equate to the person building Legos. And there's the city of, of God. And not that I'm saying one kid's more godly than the other, they're both really big sinners, but uh, they're really cute though. But one child builds these awesome, st- he, he's a master builder if you've ever seen the Lego movies. He can make anything out of this pile. And it's like, did you have instructions? No, he's a master builder. So he'll build these awesome planes and spaceships and, and whatever. And then there's the four-year-old. And the four-year-old is, is like, he comes in and he's like, uh, I'm going to take this apart. And then there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what I'm talking about. He destroyed my thing! Well, your thing wasn't even held together. Your thing was built on Legos. And your Legos are made for tearing apart and rebuilding. They were never permanent. Babylon was never meant to be permanent. Babylon is built on sand. And so often, we, we don't look at Jesus as this great fixer. We look at him as the one destroying our Lego tower. But what he does is he destroys what we build so we can build something way better. He's destroying Babylon so that he can set up his kingdom, which is not Legos. It's made up of not stones, but living stones, souls that have not been sold but they've instead been purchased back from slavery and sin and death. So he's tearing down Babylon to build his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our trespasses and we have forgive those who have trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation. That's what Babylon does. But deliver us from Babylon. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory that's not temporary, but forever, everlasting kingdom that's not held together by sand, but the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And so, verse 20 Rejoice over her, O heaven and you holy apostles and prophets for god has avenged you on her been talking about vengeance god says in romans chapter 12 verse 9 through 21 he says he says don't try to take vengeance on your enemies vengeance is mine i will repay and i'll do it completely but then the world says do what you can even compromise in order to get what you want but god says trust me first and then all these things will be added to you. And in Proverbs chapter three, verse five through 18, he says, don't trust in in your own understanding, but lean on my understanding and I'll make things right. He goes on to say it way better language than I will. Solomon was kind of smarter than me. But then in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, don't try to array yourself in the right clothing. Don't try to provide food for yourselves. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, my kingdom, and my righteousness. Seek first God's kingdom in in righteousness, and I'll take care of the rest. Obey the simplest of precepts, and it will be right. It will be founded on Christ. John Corson, in his commentary, says, love God and then use the things he gives you. The world says, love things and then use God. There's, There's a slight difference there, right? But God says, love me first, and I'll give you the things you need. So verse 21 through 24, and then we'll close. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone. He threw it into the sea, saying, thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, musicians, Flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of a bridegroom and a bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew chapter 18, and I think like Luke 17 or something like that. He said, "Um, if, if any of you, woe unto anyone who would cause one of these little ones who have childlike faith to stumble. He said it would actually be better for them if a millstone was attached to their neck And they were thrown to the bottom of the sea, which, by the way, that's like Al Capone type stuff. Like, you'll be swimming with the fishes. Like, that was God's idea. But he's going to take Babylon, attach a stone to Babylon, throw it into the sea, and Babylon will be no more. Which I find interesting because if you read the end of Isaiah, it says, When the new heaven and the new earth come, there will be no sea. There will be no opportunity for babylon to come back out of the sea it will be destroyed forever it will be lost It will be destroyed and, and so just like our sins they're, they're cast into the sea to be remembered no more and then at that point there will be no more sounds of instruments no more mirth no more celebration in babylon no more manufacturing jobs or farming there will be no more electricity maybe No more light anyway. Uh, No more people being married or given in marriage, which is the sign of a a bustling uh, community. He says all of this will happen because your merchants were great in the earth and what they did with their strength and their influence is they deceived the nations by sorcery. They deceived, they, they made it look awesome on the outside and yet on the inside it was corrupt and it was evil and you were the system guilty of promoting the death of the saints and the prophets of god those who persecute the saints and the prophets of god will not get away with it god will bring their system to naught and so how do we apply this today what does this mean for us i don't i'm not a business owner i'm not a king of the world i'm not even a shipping person how does this apply to me the question becomes, just like last week, are you living for God's kingdom or are you drawn away by the love and the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life? Are you drawn to Babylon like Lot's wife? We're all tempted to live for this world instead of the unseen kingdom of God that will be revealed. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, if you want to get rid of temptation, your heart's got to change. It's not the situation you find yourself in, it's actually your heart. He said, each man or woman is drawn away when desire, the desires in our hearts, are tempted by opportunity. Opportunity will be there. We live in a system, in a world full of Babylon. Our heart is what has to change. God doesn't tempt. He says that in James 1. Each of us is tempted when our own desires meet opportunity. You will be tempted if your desire is not to please God above everything else. What's the first commandment? Love God, don't serve idols. Jesus boiled them down to love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. Love God supremely and the temptations won't matter. They will come. But if your desire is not to please God above everything else, then your temptation will lead to sin and sin will lead to death when it conceives. But Psalm 37 says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, then he'll give you the desires of his heart. Your desires will match up with his, and you will endure temptation. And then he says, the the reward for those who endure temptation is that uh, you'll be given the crown of life that does not fade. So as we take communion this morning, I want you to think about that. Are you drawn? Are you tempted by Babylon? So Father God, um, we live in Babylon, we are exiles in this land even, but we recognize as scripture teaches that this is not our home. So I pray, Father, that you would help us to sell our stock, help us to empty our portfolio spiritually of the love of the things that this life has to offer that are only temptation and deception. They will not fulfill. They will not make us happy. They will not give us the life and the prosperity that they promise. Lord, forgive us for feeding into the system that sells souls and bodies of men and women. Help us, Lord, to repent of that sin and to give our whole hearts wholeheartedly to you. Help us to no longer be deceived by this world, but instead to see this world through your eyes, that it will fade. Thank you for your love and revealing these things to us. Help us to heed the warning and the call to come out of Babylon and to call others to come out of Babylon, not through legalism and rejecting the things, but instead loving God and using the things that Babylon offers, but for God's kingdom's purposes. So Lord, we love you and we just pray that you'd inspire our hearts and you'd convict us and help us to see as we take this meal to remember all that you've done to accomplish your will, all that you've done to accomplish salvation. May we have moments where we recognize that I've not been wholeheartedly serving you, Lord. Forgive me and change my heart, please. And help us to celebrate that even on our worst day, that your blood and your power and your might is going to strengthen us to live wholeheartedly for you. That it's all because of the work that you accomplished on the cross. So now we walk freely in freedom. So Father, thank you for this meal we get to share with you and with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we take communion, I want you to remember that um, uh, we have the little cups, and I'm sorry for the little, um, uh, it's gonna be a brain teaser. These little cups, getting these little crackers out, you know, and um, but that said, there's a wafer on the top, and then there's the juice below. I'm sorry if they're like the most difficult things ever to open, um, but, you know, that's, that's our cross to bear, right? Um, but that being said, um, as we worship with this this next song, um, go ahead and come up at your leisure and grab the elements of communion. <laughs>